it's going to be a big problem. I mean, when you ask, are people's expectations of a recession going to sink us into a depression? I don't think that their expectations of that will, but I think that what will is the busting of the bond market. We come down to, you know, not what the metrics are of jobs today or CPI or any of those things, but that as the Fed's work in tightening continues to work, even if they didn't do any more tightening, as the bond vigilantes take over now and start pricing up interest, regardless of what the Fed does, um, they're bringing the, you know, the value of bonds down by taking the interest level of them up. So that's going to hurt banks in the reserves, just like we saw back in March. And it's going to hurt, you know, lots of different funds. And I think that's going to be the big bust that takes everything down. Each time those bonds go up, we see the stock market kind of convulse and go down. And so you're going to see that push down more. Each time those bonds go up, we see mortgage interest gets higher. And the housing market that's frozen up right now at some point is going to break. But it's all going to break with prices to the downside to get realistic to what people can afford at these higher interests. So everything comes down because of what's happening in the bond world. They're pushing interest up for everything on the low end and the high end. That's, that's going to cause a much bigger collapse. That's when we're going to start seeing more bank troubles, things like that. Welcome to another RTD interview. Today, I'm excited to have returning guest, Mr. David Haggith. He's the creator and writer of the DailyDoom.com. And today, he's joined us to share his thoughts on the economy, geopolitical tensions, as well as a very variety of other subjects. So I'm excited to have him back. So, Dave, welcome back to RTD interviews. Thank you. Glad to be back. I appreciate you as always connecting with me. And so uh, last time we connected, I think, was early summer. And I think we touched on a little mm -hmm. bit about the digital transition underway. But then since then, a lot of things have unfolded. We got geopolitical tensions. We got bond issues. We got, you know, gold, of course, getting a lot of attention in the mainstream media. So I'm curious to find out your thoughts and what you've been keeping an eye on. You do a good job of writing and staying in tune with things. So uh, at this current moment, I guess, what are some things that you're keeping an eye on? What are some things that concerns you, excite you about what's happening in the world these days? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that I just wrote about yesterday is the uptick in um, unemployment. That's really interesting because it only takes a tiny little uptick on unemployment. The Fed watches as closely as a graph, and it's one of its main gauges that it looks at. And it only takes like a 0.4% uptick from whatever the low was that unemployment levels hit. And we're up 0.3% now, usually right at 0.4% uptick or 03 um, the recession begins right then. I mean, the unemployment just barely starts going and then bam, it shoots through the roof and bam, the recession starts right then. So based on the Fed's timer that it says it's been watching for a long time, we're right at that point right now. And I think this timer is coming in late, actually. I think the whole jobs gauge is uh, broken because of the COVID lockdowns and the um, you know, we, we know the employment market hasn't made much sense to anybody, right? And I don't think that makes, I think that makes it not a very reliable gauge. And in my view, I've always, I've been saying for months, really even more, more like a couple of years, that that is going to cause the Fed to tighten too long and too late because the gauge is unresponsive. You know, it's like you got to tap on it to get it to go. And finally, this uh, week, it tripped up to that higher level that says, you know, it started, the Fed's starting to get some moves and jobs towards more unemployment. Um, without arriving late on the scene, I think we're probably already in recession. And we're not, maybe not going to see a drop to negative GDP, but that's because 
Right now, GDP is, I think, also very unreliable because, of course, we're talking real GDP. And for that, you have to subtract out inflation. Now, when you don't have much of an inflation, the fact that we do such a poor job of calculating inflation um, doesn't matter that much because there isn't that much inflation. But when you've had very high inflation and you have to subtract that back out and the government's not giving accurate numbers for inflation, then GDP is not going to go down as much as it should because you're not subtracting out enough inflation. You've got housing that has gone through the roof and that has a huge lag time in figuring into the inflation metrics of anywhere from six months to a year. So even the Fed knows that those numbers are way behind. Um, it's just the way the way that's calculated in CPI, it takes a long time for it to filter through. And so we know that there's been, you know, huge increases in housing prices again. They went down and then they popped right back up due to the market freezing up. And inflation won't even be showing that for, you know, six months down the road from when it started to happen at the earliest. And so, and we, you know, fuel prices bounced around a lot and stuff. But we know that uh, they're not subtracting out enough inflation. The whole way they calculate housing prices into inflation is absurd. Um, you know, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with that or you want me to go into that, but yes, please have that. Yes. Give us all you got. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the way that the way that the government calculates inflation on housing is for rental inflation. It's easy. They look at what rents are, take a survey and okay, here's what rents are. Um, but for housing ownership, what they do is they say, well, that's really hard to calculate because, just because housing prices are up here right now doesn't mean everybody bought at that price. Most people bought here, 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 scheduling back for years. Some of them own their home 10, home 10 years and they're under these interest rates. Some just bought a home. How do you figure out what the average of all that is, how it's really impacting the consumer on the average? So they just say, forget that. What we'll do is we'll send them a survey or call them up and we'll find out um, you know, what they think their house would rent for. And that's what we'll put down for the ownership cost. Well, what does the cost of rent have to do with the cost of ownership? You know, I mean, yeah, they somewhat flow along with each other because if landlords are buying a new home to rent it out, they got to take into mind the cost of what it was to buy that home and the cost of the interest they're paying, etc. But each landlord's picture is different. Some may have bought with a big down payment, some with next to none, you know, how does that equate to what it costs to buy a home? Because they could charge all kinds of other things into that based on what their local market will bear or not, et cetera. Um, and then the people that you're asking know less about rents than anybody anyway. They're homeowners. They, you know, some of them haven't rented a home. You know, some of the people on the survey haven't rented a home in 10 years. So they don't know what the current rental market is. And do you think they're going to go out and research it before they answer that survey? They're just going, well, I don't know. Joe paid $1,700 a month for his. Like, sure, mine's worth that much, right? I mean, that's the way homeowners are going to answer those surveys. It's not going to be scientific. So it's just a load of nonsense. And when you've got housing prices changing so fast, it's hard for the nonsense even to catch up because the people you're asking don't really know the market and the market's changing so fast. You can be sure they're way behind on the market. So there's those prices built into inflation that just aren't even close to being what actual inflation is that people are feeling. That's why we look at the numbers and we go 3.4% inflation. Are you kidding me? Shoot, the price of chicken just doubled last week, you know, that kind of thing. Um, right. Not keeping up. And that means when you look at raw numbers on GDP and you say, well, we don't want to 
we're looking for how much the nation produces, right? We're not looking for how much it costs with GDP. We want to know how much it's producing. So we got to take inflation out because it's all being measured in dollars. And dollars, you know, the, as you know, the value of the dollar is changing rapidly. So you got to take that out in order to know what the effect of, of production was versus just the effect of inflation. Well, if you're understating inflation by that much, then you're overstating GDP because you're not taking out enough. So, you know, we saw this number of 4% GDP or 4.9, whatever crazy number it was. That was, in my view, all inflation. So right. I think we're at a much lower level of GDP. Right. And, and always, you know, what, what always comes out months after the fact is the revision process. And so as a result, the jobs number was revised down. It showed that there was a lot more jobs lost than what initially stated. So as you mentioned, it's bogus figures. And so based upon the bogus figures, they are designed to cover up the true state of the economy and definitely you mentioned recession i've been in the mindset we've been in a recession for quite some time just looking around and what's happening in main street but they get but the goal is of course to not allow the public to become aware of that because that's when all the panic begins and so in your opinion you know once the public realizes where we're currently at then what like you know is, is it such thing as if we're already in a recession now once the public becomes aware of what's going on and something officially breaks in the economy do we hit depressionary type levels or, or what's the, what's going to be the after effect of what, 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 what's, what's revealed once the world wakes up? Yeah, there's bound to be a, some sort of a feedback loop, right? I mean, the people running businesses or people, if they hear we're in a recession, it kind of affects how they make decisions. The consumers like we're, we're in a recession. Oh, maybe I'll knuckle down more on what I'm, you know, buying and stuff. But I think inflation's already getting that message home and the, consumers already going there because we have the same problem with sales figures a lot of people said recently you know that retail sales were up and so um, that means the economy's strong Powell thought it means the economy is still strong still resilient and most of all they said it means that consumer is still resilient well retail sales aren't up what's up is inflation retail sales are measured in dollars so you have the same problem you have with GDP if you got an inflation number that isn't realistic and is way lower than what it should be, then your sales figures aren't going to be adjusted down enough for inflation. So what you're measuring is not consumers buying more. You're just measuring inflation that isn't being counted. You know, they take the sales numbers, they cut the inflation off, but again, they're not cutting off enough. And they say, well, look, the consumer is spending more than what inflation raised prices. So the consumer must be strong because they must be buying more stuff in order to be spending more. No, you're just not adjusting enough for inflation. They're not buying more stuff. They're buying less stuff. They're just paying a lot more for it than what your numbers say. And I think no. most of us out there in our experience at a gut level know that's real. And then when you look at how they're measuring inflation, you can say, well, of course it's real. There's, you know, if you're asking homeowners the price of housing and housing is one of the biggest things that's inflating, well, they don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Now getting into, I guess, I guess our current deficit and debt spiral that our government's taking us on, you know, the government basically issues debt for the sake of survival. But then again, the world right now is not responding the way they typically do. We hear more stories about nations deciding to, I guess, uh, dial back on their treasury holdings or whatnot. And in hopes of, I guess, diversifying as well as not necessarily trusting our government's political status or, or economic status right now. What are your thoughts on this upcoming Debt issuance. So I think I saw 1.6 trillion for the next fiscal year, possibly. Not to mention the zoom, uh, the looming debt uh, fiasco we're going to have uh, pr pretty soon. What, what are your thoughts on the debt, and is it still something that the world's racing towards? In, in your opinion, 
I think that we actually got a little bit of surprise to the downside on that in that everybody was thinking it was going to be quite bad, and it is quite bad, but they were all thinking it was going to be even worse than what the Treasury announced. So it wasn't as bad as people thought, so stocks went up and bonds went down when they got the news just because it wasn't as bad as expectations have become, but it was definitely worse. And that's just kind of a shock effect that I think is going to you know, work itself through, and then those rates are going to start going back up again because the auction sizes, as they're bigger, are going to struggle to find enough bidders to do it regardless of how people react to the expectations. There's still the fact that you've got to sell all these extra bonds and you've got to price accordingly. And, uh, you know, as those auctions start coming out and they start struggling more for to find enough buyers and having to pay yield to do that, then I think you're going to see those yields go back up again. But, you know, there's no straight line to anything in economics. And so, you know, bonds go up, they go down, they go up, they go down. But the seesaw effect is working them higher and higher. Yeah, so a lot of people. No, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, it's, a, it's going to be a big problem. I mean, when you ask, are people's expectations of a recession going to sink us into a depression? I don't think that their expectations of that will, but I think that what will is the busting of the bond market. We come down to, you know, not what the metrics are of jobs today or CPI or any of those things, but that as the Fed's work and tightening continues to work, even if they didn't do any more tightening, as the bond vigilantes take over now and start pricing up interest regardless of what the Fed does, um, they're bringing the, you know, the value of bonds down by taking the interest level of them up value of existing bonds and so you're going to see you know companies with a lot of existing bonds like we saw with all the banks with tons of existing bonds and hedge funds and other things just getting crushed harder and harder by the rising rates on new issuances that are going to go up because of all of those you know larger size issuances you're talking about the prices of the existing bonds are going to be getting crushed down there you know people don't want those as much because they were issued back in the days when they didn't pay any interest so that's going to hurt banks in the reserves, just like we saw back in March. And it's going to hurt, you know, lots of different funds. And I think that's going to be the big bust that takes everything down. Each time those bonds go up, we see the stock market kind of convulse and go down. And so you're going to see that push down more. Each time those bonds go up, we see mortgage interest gets higher. And the housing market that's frozen up right now at some point is going to break. But it's all going to break with prices to the downside to get realistic to what people can afford at these higher interests. So everything comes down because of what's happening in the bond world. They're pushing interest up for everything on the low end and the high end. And, uh, you know, that's, that's going to cause a much bigger collapse. That's where we're going to start seeing more bank troubles, things like that. Right. So I was going to, the next question is going to be, what do you think is going to break first? And so you listed a, a scenario of events that could happen. So you got credit, the credit market season up as a result of the banks, you know, need contracting and not have enough capital to lend. You got the stock market. It's also dependent upon that. And then also you have just a consumer in, in general uh, and, and just a debt market in, in overall. So as of right now, those are three primary focal points. Is there anything else that we're not perhaps seeing that could also be a trigger that leads to some type of catastrophe in the debt market therefore oops and then does the fed come in by pivoting right away or do you think they continue to try to play tough with the overall market and hold off for longer or, or what yeah there's uh you know there's there's so many black swan things that can come in because of the two wars that we got going on each of which 
have the potential to go global. And that, you know, that's a huge black swan. You don't know if it's going to happen, but if it goes global, it's going to change everything. And it's hard to say how it's going to change it, but it's going to be upsetting. I'm sure stocks are going to go down. I mean, it's going to cause problems if it does, but you don't know if it's going to, right? I mean, <laughs> maybe it doesn't, um, but it easily could. But if you just look at the things you know, um, we're already seeing those things get worse, right? We're up inflation. The Fed keeps talking like it's winning the inflation game now. But for the last three months, inflation has been going up. And yet you hear Powell saying, you know, we've got a lid on this. It's going in the right direction. Well, it all depends on what metric you look at. If you look at CPI, it's going up. If you look at their PCA gauge, it's going down. It depends on whether you're looking year over year, and they want to look at that instead of month over month. But think about it. If you're looking year over year, you're comparing back to a time when inflation was so different and the measures of up and down were so much bigger um, that year over year inflation might look like it's still going in the right direction. But I'm saying what matters is month on month inflation, because if every month inflation is going up a little bit and a little bit and a little bit, sooner or later that adds up to a long enough string that you're year on years you know, tipping up higher and higher too, right? You can't keep increasing the amount of inflation that happens each month and not ultimately see year-on-year inflation going up. So the Fed needs to be watching that more carefully. And I don't know if it's just trying to obscure that by talking about the numbers that are good or if it just doesn't keep its eye on that metric as much. But if it's not, then when it says inflation is going in the right direction, it's not going to be any more accurate than it was when it said inflation was transitory. It's the same thing where, you know, the Fed, Fed was saying inflation was transitory. And I was saying, no, it's not. Look at all these reasons that inflation's happening. If you look at all the little reasons scattered through the economy, there's no way you would come to the conclusion it's transitory. But the Fed looked at one big thing and said, okay, well, it's transitory because we've got supply problems uh, because of the COVID lockdowns and then because of the war. Well, that was a big factor, but it certainly wasn't the only factor. And there were so many other things saying that, you know, it's not going to go away once the COVID lockdowns have ended and we worked through that. That was a big thing back then, really. It wasn't the war. It was just, you know, the lockdowns are over. The economy is going to go through a bit of a bump and then we'll be fine. Well, it didn't. Jobs didn't, you know, workers didn't come back. So production stayed down from lack of, I mean, lots of stuff didn't correct the way it was supposed to. Businesses didn't all reopen, that kind of thing. And so lower production means shortages. Shortages mean inflation because you got to have two. It's not just the Fed printing money, but it's all this excess money hitting a supply shortage. You know, one of the things I keep telling people is just because you're rich, you don't go out and pay $10 for an apple. You know, you might become a millionaire, but if someone wants to sell you an apple on the street for 10 bucks, you're going to go forget it, idiot. You don't pay because you got more money because you're not stupid. You didn't get rich by being stupid, you know? However, if you're rich, and there are no apples and you really want one and one guy has an apple and he wants to charge you 50 bucks you might go you know what i'm rich i can afford it i don't care i want an apple right now right and there's because there's no competition so it comes down to that competition in in the supply so long as the competition in the supply is good competition is going to hold down the prices but when there's not enough competition people with big money are going to bid up to get up the limited items that are, are available, right? So you got to have both of those things going, and that's what we hit in the COVID lockdowns. And the Fed figured all that would filter out, but it didn't. And I didn't think it would. So Now, moving now forward, is there, is, there, is there a pivot coming? Is there a pivot coming due to the tightening conditions? Or can the military issues we're facing be used as excuse to 
then somehow, some way, say everything was working fine, the economy was moving just as, as smooth as we anticipated, but this happened. Therefore, we need to... That picture of the burr, the, the, the machine, the, the guns with the, with the currency going on all through the air. Oh, yeah, right, like right. That. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, money printers smoking. and um, You know, people were have been talking about the pivot for like a year and a half, right? And the first time I heard it, I said, this is utter nonsense. Zero Hedge was saying, I was like, this is nonsense. There's not going to be any pivot. And they kept kind of teasing it out there because the Fed always does this, so it's going to. And I've consistently said it's not going to because it has inflation to fight and it has to fight it. And you will find you just haven't been around when the Fed's fighting inflation. I have been. I was young then, but I remember going through it all. The Fed will fight it. It doesn't want this kind of high inflation. It devalues its only proprietary product, which is money. It wants some inflation, but it doesn't want it getting out of control. So it will fight it. And so we've seen that it will fight it. And there's been no pivot throughout this whole time. And people kept saying it's going to pivot. And I said, it's not going to. Now we get into a place where, well, can it? Because it's getting inflation down. So maybe it could pivot if the economy goes bad. And, you know, what really is the limiting factor there has been jobs. Is The Fed also has a mandate to keep jobs up. So if it wants to pivot, um, it, you know, if, if jobs were hurting, and it could see jobs were hurting and showing it was, it could say, well, we have to, because now we have this other mandate also, not just fighting inflation, which we have to do legally, but we have the jobs thing and we got to keep jobs up. So now jobs are getting you know, bad. We got to, we got to turn, but that doesn't seem to be their goal. Does it? I mean, they keep talking about needing to get unemployment to go up. They don't want it to go crazy. And once it goes up, it usually does go crazy in a hurry. So that could give them a reason to, Pivot. I mean, that could change within one or two months. We've seen, you know, it goes up, like I say, that 0.4%. And then after that, it goes up and inflate and the recession begins and everything changes right there. So at that point, it could do that. But the limiting factor is inflation is going back up. If inflation was actually coming down, like the Fed says, then yeah, it could pivot. But it's going to be really hard for it to pivot if inflation keeps going up to the point where it gets the Fed's attention. And I think it will. Um, so my, I would lean towards it not pivoting because I think inflation has higher to go. Um, well, that remains to be seen. I, you know, I said at the beginning of the year, we would see an upturn in inflation because we get all the easy, you know, pick all the low hanging fruit and think we've made some, some progress and have, but then the sticky stuff starts hanging around and it keeps building and it starts taking things back up again. And that's exactly what we're seeing now. It's just a question mm-hmm. of how far it will go. Yeah. So like uh, for an uh, average investor in this in this current environment with the uncertainties of the potential of something breaking, therefore sending, you know, your, your portfolio in a, unfor- in, a, in a downward, you know, uh, in a downward trajectory. We've always heard about the 60, 40 uh, split no longer being ideal due to bonds and the stocks, you know, not, you know, being enough protection for people. In your opinion, what are some ways that people can, I guess, ride this wave of uncertainty uh, and not necessarily lose it all? And then also probably be able to, you know, benefit at the end of this, depending on whatever the Fed does or not do. What do you? What do you? What are your thoughts? Where's, where should people go, in your opinion? Yeah, I don't have a, a lot of good hope to give that way because we're. Fa- I mean, I'll try, but even for myself, I'm asking that same question: Where do you go? And I've said all along that's going to be the problem because we're talking the breaking of the everything bubble. If just housing is breaking, well. You know, then you can just move to something else. If just the stock market is crashing, 
you move out of stocks and you move into bonds. But where do you go when bonds are breaking and houses are falling and, and stocks are falling? Where do you go for relief? Well, you can go to gold, you know, obviously, and people do that. Um, and that might not be a bad bet, but central banks own a lot of gold, probably so they can jury rig the prices on it. A lot of people think so, and I, I kind of tend to think so too. Um, so, you know, and we've seen situations where the economy got bad enough back in the Great Depression that the government took over the price of gold. So you don't know for sure on that. It's a hedge. Usually, even if it doesn't go up the way you might hope it will, usually you're going to get your money back out at some point if you can hold on to it long enough. If it goes down, it'll come back up, right? Stocks, well, if the companies go out of business, they're not coming back up. They go bankrupt. And we're seeing more bankruptcies. We're going to see more still. Part of the struggle is whether or not you're talking about as an independent investor, I mean, picking independent stocks, or if you're talking about your 401k where you don't have those options, you know, you're buying funds. Right. If you're buying funds, you're in a world of hurt because stock funds are going to go down in value as the stock market crashes. Bond funds are already plummeting in value. You know, they're not, they can't be trusted. You can't just go out and pick a few commodities like, well, I'll invest in crude oil or something. You got to buy a commodities fund and that's usually invested in all kinds of other things which are struggling. So it's really hard to make any pure picks. You don't have the option of buying gold in a 401k. So you're pretty well cut off in every direction. If you're talking an individual investor, well, then you can look for things you think are you know, going to be strong and ultimately weather out of the recession. Like, well, they may go down in value, but this is a company that's made it through many recessions, and I think this one will do well. You know, <clears throat> you can buy companies that own a lot of oil. You got to be careful with oil because if they're uh, in the oil side of the business that has to buy a lot of crude, they could be hurt. If they're in a business that has a lot of crude to sell, that might be a good investment. Uh, price of oil is going to go up and down, but with all these wars and stuff, it's bound ultimately to go up. Um, but it has to be, you know, their investments then have to be in locations where that oil can be moved. You know, if, if they were highly invested, for example, in, in crude oil in Russia, they lost. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really tough to find, you know, you're hopping from lily pad to lily pad when, when all the lily pads are sinking. It's hard to find the right one you can land on and it cannot be stable because it's the breaking of the everything bubble. So everything's flushing, you know, which is going to go down first. Well, I think bonds are leading the action down, but, you know, pretty much everything's going down with them at the same time. Stocks are already falling and, you know, housing is already falling. So it's already all spinning down the hole. And bonds mm-hmm. are the thing at the bottom sucking it all down. Yeah, interesting. So, like, ultimately, is this one of the things where, you know, I guess pick – Pick uh, pick the fastest method down, but then ultimately, you know, I'm of the mindset, you know, the gold, of course, is the best insurance against a dying fiat because all this debt spiral we're experiencing is denominated in your currency. And so right now, I think there's enough examples of what's happening outside USD terms in other countries where they're already at all-time highs uh, with the currency basically being just depreciated against the actual gold itself. So my, my, my thesis is, you know, everything remains the same until gold breaks out in USD terms. Because that'll be yeah. the true indication as to where right. the U.S. economy is heading because of the weaponization of the dollar. So, um, but then again, you know, we'll never know how how long it takes to play out because they've been able to manipulate and suppress price, uh, you know, for quite some time now. So, you know, the whole jo- the, might be waiting for quite some time. But nevertheless, that's the world we live in. But I'm curious to get your thoughts. Uh, last question: the Middle East contagion of events unfolding. 
Nobody knows how it's going to play out. What are your thoughts from a, I guess, a, a biblical standpoint? I know you're a, a student of the Bible. And so what are your thoughts on events of unfolding now? Are there any biblical prophetical, you know, connotations going on there? Or, or what are you, what are you thinking? Well, there easily, easily could be right. Because, you know, one of the big biblical prophecies is the battle of Armageddon. And it's about all, basically the scenario is all nations, of the world turn against Israel and they all go to Israel to fight. And we have this cataclysmic war. That's the end, end of time, you know, for human history as we know it. And we move on to another time under the reign of Jesus Christ as, you know, he, the true Jewish Messiah returns. And, um, that, so that's a, the major economic, I mean, uh, apocalyptic turning point. And obviously this war can go in that direction. I mean, you, you could see the potential more than at any other time because people are upset with Israel for the way they see Netanyahu for years as having kind of poked and poked the Palestinians because, you know, he'll many times do things like take out an entire Palestinian village and then allow people to build Jewish homes there. And obviously that exacerbates tensions and stuff. So he's kind of a ham-fisted sort of guy that, I'm saying, you know, I, I'm all for Israel, but he's done things in a way that I think have made the world turn more against him. And I think as he pursues this war headlong and, you know, has to become fairly ruthless to get Hamas rooted out. And that's clearly the goal this time. It's not surgical strikes to go. Let's let's teach him a lesson. Let's take out some leaders. At this point, I think it's pretty clear Israel said we're destroying Hamas. Well, to do that, as we know, when you go into Afghanistan, you try to destroy Al-Qaeda, and it's just a tiny part of Afghanistan compared to the Taliban. You can't go in without just making a big, giant mess because um, they're not going to give up, and they'll you know, fight from the trenches and fight from the tunnels and, and the bombed-out buildings. And as that goes on and on, the world is probably going to turn more against Israel. Um, you know, at first, they're sympathetic, just like at first they're sympathetic to the United States and with 9-11 happened, but there's a point where it goes on with Iraq and Afghanistan and more and more people start saying, okay, enough already. You're using this to just justify more wars. So I think that's where world opinion is, is going to go. So you can easily already see Russia and China and Iran forming a tighter alliance and Russia, biblical prophecy, you know, many people believe is the bear described in biblical prophecies as an entity that would come down on Israel. And for a long time now, we've seen Russia strengthening ties with Israel. We're like, oh, well, maybe that's not going to happen, but um, maybe Russia is not the bear. But it is, in my opinion. And now we see the bear showing its teeth and turning against Israel and taking a stand along with, with Iran. Uh, that's really dangerous for Israel. And we see, you know, politicians in Israel have revolted against that and said, Russia, you, you're going to pay for this. You know, you haven't stood by us with Hamas and you're losing a friend and you're going to regret the day you did. And so those breaks are starting to happen and, and alliances are reforming in the world because of the war in Ukraine, where Russia is pressed to form closer ties with, you know, nut jobs like Iran and North Korea. So Russia's allying itself with forces that you know we in the United States would consider pretty dark entities in themselves that are always itching for 
for nuclear war. Russia's constantly the one that's flapping its nuclear silo doors, you know, and even launching missiles out of nuclear armed submarines. And you talk about, well, the United States might trigger a nuclear holocaust. Russia might trigger a nuclear holocaust. How about we talk about who's doing this stuff? Who's flapping their silo doors? Who's launching missiles out of nuclear submarines? That could trigger an accidental nuclear war. It's not the United States doing those particular acts that are very definitely nuclear. It's Russia. And what if the United States sees one of those missiles going off and thinks it is a real one and responds in kind? You know, so far, we in Europe have responded with cool heads and not gone to any nuclear actions when we see Russia actually doing things that look like, you know, they could be a nuclear attack um, and constantly threatening to make a nuclear attack. So there's a reason to believe they would. So they're really the ones that are constantly teasing, you might say, this whole nuclear war thing, and that could trigger a nuclear war. So, yeah, it's just, you know, a lot of volatility, and now it's all centering on Israel. It was all centered around Ukraine, which didn't have a role in biblical prophecy. But now all the attention shifting to Israel, even, you know, a lot of Russian attention shifting in that way because it needs Iran to buy the military, to get the military weapons it needs in Ukraine, so it has to ally with Iran on its, you know, is Israel hatred, basically. Interesting. Uh, interesting turn of events, I must admit. But then again, here we are now. And and my personal opinion in reference to what's happening in that region is that it's a part of the, the, the greater distraction. You know, like what better way to keep things going, the status quo, other than to create military conflict? Because there's a winner. Whoever supplies the weapons on either side ultimately is the beneficiary. And I was noticing the military industrial complex, a lot of those Lockheed Martins and Raytheon, all those companies are now doing well. So it's another thing, another cycle of just, you know, currency printing that goes to the hands of the small few to keep the can kicking down the road. So mm-hmm. it's unfortunate that in the midst of all this, there's casualties, and there's lives lost. But then again, that's the world we live in. So just continue. To, I just continue to try to pray for everybody and hold the hope that a sound of minds prevail. But um, as always, David, it's great to have you on the show to share your two cents on things and appreciate you as always to, to join and give us an update on where, where you see the world heading. But uh, for those who may not be familiar, can you point them back to where you do writing? And of course, I'll put it in the description and uh, look to connect, you know, beginning of the year and see where we at at that point as well. Yeah, I, I've been writing and tracking all this stuff on the daily doom.com. So you can just Go to thedailydoom.com, and there's lots of free stuff there. You can pay for a subscription and get more stuff, more concentrated economic analysis. Um, But I'm tracking all this stuff there every day, tracking the headlines, publishing the headlines, and writing my own daily editorial about what I think is most critical in the news that day. Sounds good. Sounds good. Once again, David, thank you for joining us. Look forward to following you and continue to have you uh, join us and share your expertise. Thanks for joining us on RTA Views. I always enjoy the conversations. Thanks, Mike.